This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Julia Furukawa, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. The conservative media organization PragerU won state approval last month to offer online classes to high school students in New Hampshire. Education Commissioner Frank Edelblue has publicly supported PragerU, but as NHPR Sarah Gibson reports, he's also been active behind the scenes. Sarah joins us now to share her findings. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Julia. First, can you tell us more about PragerU and the kind of content they provide to students? Sure. So PragerU is a nonprofit that aims, in its words, to change the hearts and minds of Americans. It's producing content, uh, videos, podcasts, interviews that espouse conservative Judeo-Christian values and views. Um, And it really sees itself as an antidote to what it calls left-wing indoctrination on college campuses, in Hollywood, and in public schools. And then they have an initiative called PragerU Kids that's specifically curriculum and videos uh, for young people uh, that they want to have included in schools. And this includes things on history, celebrating certain American figures, um, and then in some cases more explicitly ideological videos, like ones questioning the science of climate change. And what were they asking for approval to do here in New Hampshire? Yeah, so this summer, PragerU uh, was seeking approval to offer its curriculum to a bunch of different states across the U.S. In New Hampshire, they were seeking approval for one course called the Cash Course. It's a financial literacy course that um, would allow high schoolers here to fulfill what's a new requirement uh, for financial literacy. And, um, you know, there was a fair amount of pushback when the application became public by by folks who said, uh, you know, even if this specific financial literacy class is not very partisan. If the state approves PragerU material, it's kind of giving tacit approval to all of its content and its politics, they said. You reported that while this whole debate over PragerU was going on, Commissioner Frank Edelblue was collaborating with the organization behind the scenes. What did that look like? Yeah, so this is uh, reporting based largely on public records, emails that we got from the Department of Education. Uh, And so basically, soon after PragerU applied this past summer for approval in New Hampshire, they asked Commissioner Frank Edelblut to participate in promotional material um, that included speaking at a PragerU town hall uh, in L.A. um, and and doing a couple other videos. He agreed. And then while PragerU's application was tabled over some concerns about uh, it as an organization. He attended the town hall in L.A., um, spoke to donors there, and PragerU paid for his hotel room for one night. Uh, And then while there, he also recorded videos that PragerU posted the day it was finally approved in New Hampshire, kind of a celebratory video about the collaboration it now has with the state. So we have the head of a state agency working with a private group while they have an application pending with that agency. Is this kind of collaboration usual? I would say it's unusual. I, I reached out to Commissioner Edelblut to ask more about why he chose to essentially lend his prestige and, um, you know, the support of New Hampshire to a group while its uh, application was was pending approval. And he said uh, in a written statement, it was an opportunity to promote New Hampshire's Learn Everywhere program, regardless of whether PragerU's cash course was approved by the State Board of Education here in New Hampshire um, and just Learn Everywhere is basically the umbrella um, under which PragerU is offering its financial literacy class here. 
And it's important to note that PragerU is is offering this material for free, and it is optional. It's not getting money from New Hampshire for this. But, you know, PragerU, it's a nonprofit. It relies on donors. And as it's raising money, getting support, it really holds up these approvals in states as proof of its legitimacy and its growing momentum. So when a state like New Hampshire approves PragerU, when its commissioner, you know, appears with PragerU and speaks to their donors, that certainly is of benefit to PragerU. How does this situation with PragerU fit in more broadly with Edelblue's approach as education commissioner? Well, uh, Commissioner Edelblue is a social conservative. He was formerly a Republican lawmaker, and he shares some of the critiques of public school that PragerU has. Um, And he's also a big supporter of school choice. And I, I really do mean that in an expansive sense. So giving parents and students the opportunity to choose what kind of education they want. So that includes private school and homeschool, uh, in some cases on the public's dime. And it's really this view held by many conservatives that parents should have a lot more say in what their kids learn, including in a public school setting. Um, and, you know, they would argue that PragerU expands options, at, particularly for parents whose politics um, are, are really at odds with their public school right now. Let's turn to some of your other recent reporting, Sarah. A new report from the U.S. Census Bureau finds housing for seniors in New England is more limited than in other parts of the country. How exactly does our region compare? Uh, it's not great. So so 20% of our houses here in, in New England are considered aging ready, which means that there's a bathroom and a bedroom on the first floor and that an entryway is accessible. That's compared to about 40% of homes nationwide. So we're way below. It's not that surprising. You know, we have very old housing stock here in, in New England. Um, but in New Hampshire, I mean, we already have over 20% of our population over the age of 65. And that demographic is going to be growing. Sarah, as you said, New Hampshire's population is older and continuing to age. What are ways New Hampshire needs to update its housing stock to make it more accessible for seniors? Well, I I spoke to a couple housing experts on this, and they said it's really a three-pronged approach. So there's there's the issue of zoning, which we've heard a lot about, basically, um, you know, building smaller units, changing zoning regulations so that can happen, smaller affordable units, um, and then also being able to split those big houses that seniors might be living in um, into smaller apartments to address the housing shortage at large, but also so maybe allow them to generate some income so they can modify one apartment within their house um, and, and, and age in place there. There's also the idea of retrofitting underutilized buildings into senior housing. And then finally, you know, just renovating where a senior lives so that things like the flooring thresholds or the door handles or, or ramps, other things like that that can allow them to age in place. How does this shortage of accessible housing for seniors affect the state's housing crisis more broadly? Well, it, it really puts pressure on the housing stock because if there's a you know a senior who wants to move out of their larger home but can't find a smaller accessible house to or apartment to move into, they're going to stick in that large home that maybe could accommodate a younger family um, that really needs three bedrooms, two bathrooms, something like that. So it's making it harder for working families to find a place to live and also hard for the very workforce that has to provide care to these seniors as they age, you know, harder for direct care and healthcare workers who are, are looking for places to live uh, if they move up here for a job. And HBR Sarah Gibson, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. 
Catholic Medical Center in Manchester is the latest in a series of New Hampshire hospitals to move to join a larger health system. They recently announced that they could become part of Tennessee-based hospital giant HCA Healthcare. And HPR's Paul Kuno Booth joins us now to help us understand what this deal and the larger trend of healthcare consolidation could mean for patients and what state regulators are keeping their eye on. Hi, Paul. Hi, Julia. All right, Paul, it's still early in this process, but what do we know about this potential deal between Catholic Medical Center and HCA Healthcare? So the details are still being worked out, but basically CMC would remain a Catholic hospital but become part of HCA. That's a for-profit company that owns several other hospitals in the state. You know, CMC says their costs are going up and they're looking for a larger parent organization to not just help the hospital stay afloat long term, but also be able to actually expand patient services. Okay, well, does it seem like HCA is positioned to do that? Well, the state's recent experience with HCA has not been entirely positive. Last year, the company announced it was closing the labor and delivery unit at Frisbee Memorial Hospital in Rochester. This was a service they'd promised to keep open just a couple years earlier when they bought that hospital. HCA says the closure was unavoidable because of falling birth rates and other factors. It also says it's invested $40 million in expanding other services at Frisbee. But New Hampshire Attorney General John Fermella, whose office will have to approve the CMC deal, says HCA's past record could be a factor. There's no question that prior experiences with an organization will inform a review of a future transaction. And trust is really important. So I think it is safe to say that HCA has some work to do to continue to rebuild trust with the state. For his part, Catholic Medical Center CEO Alex Walker told me he's confident that being part of HCA will allow the hospital to actually invest more in patient care. We're not talking about subtraction. We're talking about how do we how do we grow, not just maintain, but grow, you know, what we have for patients in New Hampshire. So this is part of a national trend toward hospital consolidation. Paul, what have we seen in New Hampshire? You know, at this point, there are just a handful of hospitals in New Hampshire that aren't part of some larger system. We've seen a big expansion from Dartmouth Health in the Upper Valley. Boston-based hospital systems have moved into southern New Hampshire. Hospitals in the North Country and the Manchester-Nashua area have also joined together as regional systems. A lot of this is driven by changes in the healthcare industry itself. You know, as healthcare becomes more complex and specialized, small hospitals in particular say they're just facing a lot of cost pressures to keep operating. There have also been a couple recent cases in New Hampshire where hospitals were actually on the verge of closing before they found a buyer because they were in such bad shape financially. So that makes sense from a business perspective, but what does this mean for patients? We don't have much data on the impact in New Hampshire specifically, but in general, researchers who've studied this in other markets have found that prices do tend to go up when hospitals merge. Um, The quality of the care also doesn't necessarily seem to get better. There are also concerns about what this means for access to certain services locally. You know, in theory, if your local hospital joins a large health system, it may be able to offer more specialized medical services or invest in better technology. That's one reason hospital executives will often give for pursuing these deals. But as we saw with Frisbee, you know, there are also examples of hospitals being acquired and then cutting services that maybe aren't as lucrative but are really important for that community. Paul, where do you see all this going? 
So the state is going to have to sign off on any merger between Catholic Medical Center and HCA if things get that far. Attorney General John Formella told me that in any of these deals between hospitals, he's going to want to see a commitment that they keep offering certain critical services. That would include labor and delivery, possibly also mental health care. State officials are also working on ways to better understand the impact of these mergers and give patients more transparency around prices. But a lot of this ties into larger questions about the future of healthcare in New Hampshire. The experts I spoke to, like Lucy Hodder, who studies this stuff at UNH Law, said this trend toward consolidation is going to continue. The real question is how we make sure basic healthcare remains accessible and affordable to most people. If we don't ask these questions, we may end up with very few labor and delivery units and hospitals that haven't invested in primary care. Hodder and others told me part of the answer may be finding more ways to provide those services outside the hospital system altogether. Paul Kuno-Booth covers health and equity for NHPR. Thanks for your time, Paul. Thanks for having me. You can find more of Paul's reporting and all the stories we have talked about this morning at NHPR.org. We'll be here next Friday with more top headlines. I'm Julia Furukawa, and this is NHPR.